God's Word. How many know that we're, we're all active participants in the preaching of God's Word? Right? We're all active participants because it's not about me saying a bunch of words up here. It's about the Spirit of God speaking. So there's an interesting trend. There's an interesting trend that I've noticed growing in our world, particularly our Western world. And it's, it's that of what I'm, what I'm going to call the emancipated Christian. The emancipated Christian. This is the person who believes in Jesus, has come to know the love of God, but they've emancipated themselves, often by choice, to live separate from the family of God. To live it out on their own. Now, I've heard many reasons for this. There's some very uh, prolific and well-known people who have kind of adopted this philosophy of, of, of doing church or not doing church. Um, but I want to just dig in. And today, if you're joining us today, um, we're, we're in a series called This Is Us. And part of that is just going, this is what we believe. This is what we believe. And we're going to be talking about the local church today. And there's many reasons for, for the reason that, that people will give. And I've heard so many reasons over the years. And, and I, don't want to preach, I don't want to preach in reaction to a trend. I don't want to preach in reaction to particular reasons. What I would rather do is I want to attempt to inspire you with a biblical understanding of the church. A biblical understanding, a theology of how God interacts with us. A theology of the church. I believe in the local church. I have strong conviction that though the expressions of the local church are many and none of them are perfect, the local church is God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Always has been from day one. God's plan. I believe the local church is crucial to your journey of faith. It's crucial to your journey of faith because your journey of faith isn't just about you. We say it often here. This isn't just about you. It's about something bigger. And if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here. And, and we're, we're in this middle of, of this series called This Is Us and an overview of what we believe. And, and if you're visiting from out of town, I hope that after today, you will make serious considerations of finding a local church in the town or the city that you come from. If you're visiting with us today and, and you're local to a region, I hope to inspire you to be a part of a community of faith. A local church where you can grow and contribute to something bigger than just yourself, something bigger than just your family. Our vision here is to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, to encounter his love, and to look more and more like him each day. And we believe that local church has a paramount part to play in that process, that process of looking more and more like Jesus every day. So let's dive in. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is going to be the main thing for today. Write this down. If you don't write anything else down, write it down. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And the local church is the method he chooses to extend that hope. Jesus is the, is the hope of the world. And the local church is the method he chooses to extend that hope. Jesus has changed us profoundly as individuals. He's given us life, but he's also given us a family. 
Those who are in Christ Jesus are brothers and sisters. We're a part of a family. God is our heavenly Father, and the mission we are on was meant to be done together. So what do we believe about the church? First and foremost, we believe in the universal global church. Okay? This is so paramount to how we move forward. This is foundational, and I'll tell you why in a moment. All who are born again in Jesus are members of this universal church. You're a part of the body, the bride of Christ. There's so many metaphors. The body and the bride are the two metaphors that Scripture uses over and over to talk about this family that we're a part of. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in his first letter, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So this is so pivotal to understand because without this understanding, things can get weird. We've seen this. You've probably seen this. Without this understanding of one body, the universal global church, in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters together, things can get a little bit weird. The pride of man can creep in and we begin to see these different expressions or movements that teach that we're the true body. And everybody else is, they don't have the right revelation like we do. Right? Have you seen this? Have you seen things get weird? When this idea and this theology and this truth about the universal church gets ignored, and all of a sudden we have these offshoots where we're elite, we have special revelation, we're better than everybody else out there. But having a a good foundational understanding of the universal church, the global church, it stems that in the bud and nips that in the bud. The disciples, they even had a moment where this creeped in. Uh, Mark, he he says it about John. He kind of calls John out when he writes the gospel of Mark in 938. It says, John John said to him, said said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, interesting, if you notice, John says he was not following us. He didn't say he he was not following you, Jesus. No, he said he was not following. He wasn't a part of us, our little band of brothers doing our thing. He wasn't a part of us. And I think that John might have been a little bit surprised at how Jesus responds to him. And perhaps today, Jesus' response maybe will surprise even you. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Paul, he picks up on this attitude in regards to the understanding that there's one body, one global universal church, when he writes to the Philippians, This is in Philippians 1, 14 to 18. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here's where it gets interesting. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. 
poor methods, poor foundations for preaching Christ, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense, right? Whether in poor motives or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Wow. We don't often operate that way, do we, church? Right? We don't often operate like that. It's all about the message of Jesus reaching out to the world. Paul understood this. Having a robust understanding of the local church, of the universal global church, is key to maintaining humility and unity among the body of believers. You see, there's no room for a sense of elitism in the body of Christ. There's no room for competition because we're all on the same team. You can't compete with your own team. That's why we send tens of thousands of dollars a year away to missionaries that are doing global works outside of this community. That's why we just celebrated and heard a report of what happened in Honduras. Because a win in Honduras for the church of Jesus Christ is a win for us. A win for our global workers around the world is a win for the church. It's a win for our team. A win when someone gives their life to Jesus at the Baptist church down the road, that's a win for us. Amen? When someone gets water baptized at the Foursquare church, that's a win for our team. And so having a deep understanding of the universal church, the global church, that when you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are part of a global family, both past, present, and to come, Lord willing. We need to have this understanding. Otherwise, things get weird. Things get competitive. We believe in the church, the body of Christ, as a single, universal, global church. And with that as our foundation, we also believe in the local church, or the regional church, if you will. Remember, Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the method he chooses to extend that hope. The local church is the outflow of Jesus going to the Father and sending his spirit to empower believers. You see, if Jesus didn't ascend into heaven, we would be restricted by geography. We would be just like the disciples. We wouldn't be able to leave his side. If Jesus hadn't ascended, we would have to go where Jesus is physically. That would be how the church would operate. And wherever he went, that's where the church would go. But instead, he sent. He said, there's a better way. I'm going to send a better. I'm going to send better. The Spirit of God. And that's why we can have local church. We can meet in multiple locations. One church, one body, meeting in multiple locations across this entire globe. In the Spirit of God. The local church. So what is the local church all about? Luke, as he writes Acts, gives us a description of the early church. And I really feel like this is just such a great description of what the local church is all about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2 and starting verse 42. Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As a church, we can, we can identify a number of activities that were happening within the early church. And the first was teaching. The first activity was teaching. They were hungry to learn the ways of Jesus and to relearn the Old Testament. They had to relearn the Old Testament in light of Jesus. What does the Old Testament mean now that we believe in Jesus? That was a big deal for the early Jews. And the apostles, they felt that it was their duty to lay those foundations and then hand them off to pastors and elders who continued leading the church in these practices. And so this is so key to our success as people. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. There's something profoundly safe about growing in faith in a community of believers. Because when we do it ourselves, it gets weird. And here's why. Because there's no one to hold us accountable to anything. When things get weird in the church, here's, here's more often than not, here's what has happened. Someone has distanced themselves, has emancipated themselves from the family and starts doing their own thing. And that's when things get weird. That's when the enemy has the opportunity to take you down a wrong road, to twist things just enough, just enough. Or it's a small little splinter group. But it's often very small. And it brings you to a place where you're not in a safe environment to explore God's word in community. Listen, I'm a big believer. I, I, it's funny, I, I grew up, interestingly enough, I, I grew up in a, in a non-denominational church. That's how it was more of a charismatic, non-denominational church. But my dad always, even though it was a non-denominational church, even though it was kind of, that was the deal, my dad was a wise guy, and he always knew I need to be a part of something bigger than me. I can't just do this thing on my own, because he knew that if I do it on my own, no one's going to hold me accountable when I get weird, when I start taking scripture and making it say what it doesn't say, when I start going off my own path and my own way and letting experience, experience inform my theology instead of the word of God. This is often what happens. And so he knew right from the beginning, I need to be a part of something bigger than myself so I can be held accountable so I don't lead people off into la-la land. I hear it's a great movie. I haven't seen it. We need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We need to be a part of a community of believers. Today I'm preaching to you, but, but if I go off course... If I say something that's not biblical, first of all, 
first line of defense is you. You would go, Lucas, hey, eh, I don't know about that, right? Can we talk? Second line of defense, we have a number of board members here, and we have some, we have some elders in this church that would go, eh, where are you going? Third line of defense is I hold my credentials with Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and they would come talk with me. Ken Russell, good hometown boy, he'd have a chat with me. There's accountability. I'm a part of community. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And that keeps us, there's safety in that. In a multitude of counsel, there's safety. In community, there's safety as we grow in Jesus. And so teaching, learning together in community was a key part of the early church. The second was fellowship. Fellowship. The word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. And it speaks of communion, of, of partnership, not just in community, but common purpose. It's more than just hanging out together. It's bigger than that. It's hanging out together, like-minded around a mission that is bigger than all of us. It speaks of sharing immaterial as well as spiritual things with one another towards that common purpose. And this is how the church in the first century had to do community because there's such a great displacement. Christians were being persecuted and they were being displaced all over the known world. And so the early church, they had to step up. That's why they sold their possessions. That's why they brought everything in common so they could meet the needs of the orphan and the widow and the displaced Christians that were now refugees, that were now homeless. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? And this is what the church was doing. They had to meet the needs of many, and they did it as the church. And this is why in the fall, we're going to be putting a very special focus on community groups here at Evangel. The need to be a part of a smaller community of faith where we can learn together and pray for one another and meet one another's needs, walk with one another in this journey of faith. This is so crucial to our Christian faith, fellowship, coming together. And then the third thing we see is the breaking of bread. And this is one of what, what we call an ordinance, an ordinance in the church. There's two ordinances that we, we operate in as, as evangel. Communion, remembering Jesus and his sacrifice for us, doing that in fellowship, in community together. And the second we're going to be doing next week, water baptism. Community, together, declaring what Jesus has done in a life together, in community. The two ordinances of the church. But the early church, they would break bread together. This is a practice of remembering. And it was done in community. And it was remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to do that to close the service today. We take the bread and we break it to remember Jesus' broken body for us. Jesus' broken body, so our body can have healing, can have life, can have restoration. That's why we pray for one another. That's why we pray healing over one another. We believe that God wants to heal and that the cross of Jesus Christ has empowered us to release healing in Jesus' name. That's what we do. And then we take the cup to remember Jesus shed blood for the covering of our sins and our brokenness. And we do this together. And we do this in communion and we do this in community. Why? Because part of confession, part of walking away from sin is confessing your sins, what? To Jesus? 
to one another. We confess our sins one to another. We confess our sins in community. Obviously, we have to have wisdom in how we do that. We don't just stand up in a room of, you know, a couple hundred people and just say our sins. But we do it in relationship. But we do it in community. That's part of communion. That's part of the shed blood of Jesus. That's part of repentance. And then the fourth is prayer. It's in this community of faith that we pray for one another. We stand with those that are hurting, and we weep with those who mourn. We pray for one another. We pray for the sick. We pray for our community, and we hold our neighbors up in prayer together. This is why we often make room for prayer in our services. But I believe more importantly, this is why prayer needs to be such a significant part of all of our gatherings, wherever they might find us. When we do community groups in the fall, when we relaunch all of that, prayer is going to be a key component to every single community group. If you start attending a community group that doesn't pray during your evening, you need to come tell me because I'm going to be there the next day. Because prayer is so key, it's so vital to what we do. Because it's the laying foundations of the kingdom here. It's the laying the foundations of what God wants to do in and through us. But we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to walk in faith. And sometimes walking in faith alone is hard. But when we walk in faith with others, it stirs something in us. It builds one another up in their most holy faith. This is community. This is the local church. And finally, last but certainly not least, and and I would say this is probably a primary function of the gathering of the local church, is worship. Is worship. They praised and worshiped God. Now, you might be wonder why we sing together, and, and singing, if you want to get in, this is a whole other sermon or a whole other teaching, if you want to get into why we use music and why we use song, it's deeply biblical, okay? And just in case you're wondering, all those non-musicians out there that hate that, you know, you come, you come for the preaching, but you kind of come late for the singing. I know you're out there. Um, but we choose to worship God, and, and singing and music is the medium, is the way in which we choose to do that as a community of believers. And so we take time to give God honor and to give God thanks, because we don't enter his presence unless we have thanksgiving in our hearts. We, we don't enter his courts unless we praise, and we give him honor, and we give him what he's due Because he's so good to us. And so as a community, as a local church, we worship God. We lift up Jesus. We lift up Jesus. And it's in these moments of praise and thanksgiving that our eyes are lifted up to Jesus off of ourselves and onto him. We worship because God is worthy of our worship and admiration. And it's interesting to end this section of Acts. The writer, he goes on to say, Luke goes on to say, and he says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And here's what's interesting about this. All the other things we talked about, 
were descriptions of what the church did. Okay? It was, it was fellowship. And it was teaching. And it was breaking bread together. It was praying for one another. It was worship. But it's interesting that now, as he speaks, the outflow of all of that, the outflow of it, was that the church grew. There was something about the local church gathering together, worshiping, being taught, being equipped, that there was an outflow. It wasn't, this is your duty. This is your mandated duty. This is what you have to do. No, there was an outflow of them being light in the community they were in. There was an outflow of strength. There was an outflow of being encouraged with one another that when they went into the community, there was something different about those that gathered at the local church, that gathered in their homes to lift up Jesus, who gathered in their local Starbucks and praying for one another and loving on one another. There was something about the local church when they met the needs of everyone within that community of faith. I, I want you to notice, there, I think there's a deep theological argument to be made that much of what the church did as far as meeting needs, if you read the Acts, if you read the, much of what they did as far as meeting needs was not necessarily going out into the unchurched world and meeting needs. Much of what they did was actually within the context of the family. And that was so profoundly attractive and different and countercultural that it attracted those that weren't a part of the family. They wanted to go, what is this all about? Now, there's also very deep theological argument that we are to meet the needs of our world. And that's part of what the local church does. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was a natural outflow of evangelism that resulted in the church. Evangelism is, is, is when you go out and you, you tell the world why you have hope. Right? Evangelism is you go out and you tell people about Jesus and that he's made a difference in your life. Evangelism is more than just telling them. Evangelism is living in such a way, in such an expression, that they start asking, hey, there is a difference in your life. What's that all about? But if we're doing it alone, if we're doing it on our own, if we are slowly emancipating ourselves from the body, it's very hard to go out and be that light and to be that encouragement and be that hope. Because it's very hard to live this life alone because you were made for community. That's how you were designed. You were designed for community. You were designed not to grow by yourself as an island unto yourself. You were designed to grow and mature with one another. When I was first here, uh, I preached a sermon and, and uh, I believe it was, it was Paul. This, this is just off... off this will be free. Um, and he was talking, he was describing community. And one of the words that he used to describe community was long-suffering. And I said, in the Greek, in the Greek, that word means suffering long. Here's the reality about community. If, if, if we approach local church as consumers... 
So, so in other words, if we approach local church in, in, in a mindset that says, what can this church do for me? The local church everywhere is going to let you down. It's going to let you down. But if you approach local church with the mindset of, I am a gift. God has given me a gift. I have opportunity to serve my brothers and sisters with that gift. And if we approach with a mindset of contribution and unity and togetherness, you will be able to suffer long because there's going to be people that are sitting somewhere in this room that you just don't like. And some of you have been suffering long. That's community. That's family. Have you ever had a sibling? Right? Me and my brother, we get in just fights, like full-on fist fights. But, man, someone step up to my brother at school, I'm going to protect him with my life. I mean, there are moments I didn't like him, my brother. I didn't like him. There are moments. But I love him. This is family. This is community. This is what it means to be a part of a local church that's on a mission that's bigger than you. It's bigger than your family. It's bigger than this town. Because we're a part of something bigger. Because we're a part of the universal church, the global church. And so we need to stop being competitive. We need to start releasing blessing over our brothers and sisters that are meeting all over this town right now. We need to start releasing blessing over our local family here. But I encourage you, I, I, I actually, I implore you, Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Can you get to heaven? Yeah, all you need is, you don't need the local church. All you need is Jesus. But if you want to walk in the full potential of the calling and the purposes and the plans that God's placed on your life, you can't do it alone. Period. You just can't. We're not perfect. If anybody here is visiting and you're hoping we're a perfect church in Powell River because you haven't found one yet, we're not it. We just aren't. But we're going to figure this thing out together. We're going to take this journey together because the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community and beyond is too important. And that's what we're about. Love one another. Love one another. How do people in this world know that Jesus makes a difference in the life? That we have love one for another in community, even when we don't like people. Get over it. And here's what's interesting. The very people that maybe you just spark with at times are probably the people that are shaping you the most. 
in your journey of faith. Because as iron sharpens iron, that's how we get better. That's how we grow in faith. How does iron sharpen iron? It's not pretty. There's a clash. There's friction. There's sparks. There's heat. That's how iron sharpens iron. You want to mature in Jesus? You want to grow in your faith? Be a part of community of faith. Because you can't do it alone.